recording. Good camera, still a little messed up, so we will not be using that. We have not been using it for a week, and I should have it figured out by next week. That's not because I'm sleeping on it, it's because it's not important. Not, not that it's not important, it's very important. It's, it's the good camera. The description and process by which it is being fixed is not important, nor is it interesting to be listened to. Today's the solo rant, dual cancellations with guests. Um, not on my part, dual reschedulings on their, this has been a strong opening to a podcast. Two guests who had some shit pop up last second. And, uh, so it's a solo rant and, um, today, December, oh yeah, 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Um, which I suppose would maybe kind of play into what I'm talking about today. Not really. I mean, loosely. Such feels like such a weird beginning to a podcast. So I had just finished reading um, Imagineers of War. Um, I want to make sure. Yeah, The Imagineers of War by uh, Miss Sharon Weinberger, who will be coming on the podcast sometime in January or February. Um, it's about DARPA. I mean, the, de- de- the, the definitive DARPA book. Um would say is Annie Jacobson's book, The Pentagon's Brain, about DARPA. Or so I had thought. Um, It's not that I think Imagineers is better. I think they're apples and oranges. Um, uh, I think Annie Jacobson's more maybe about, like, the big picture, if that makes, maybe, like, their motto. Not maybe their, like, kind of what they are, what they are. And she goes in and she talks about all the, uh, you know, all the projects and programs she they do, but it's also kind of about the evolution of the agency and like its mission, if that makes. And this is all just my opinion. This is obviously it's not objective fact. And if I went back and listened to them both again, I might say that's a completely incorrect analogy or explanation. Imagineers of War is. Um, more of a granular approach to the the insane shit that DARPA's been doing since the beginning. And because of that, I'm, I might even go so far as to say I like Imagineers of War a little better than DARPA. Now, is that biased by the fact that Miss Jacobson hasn't responded to an email of mine in two years? And is that biased by the fact that Miss Sharon Weinberger did respond and politely... Uh, did you see that sound panel sticking out right there? And did uh, did schedule a podcast for next year? Maybe. Maybe. But uh, DARPA, human cognition, the human brain, all that good stuff, somehow tied in there. Or it's just my own biases because I'm a spoiled fuck who doesn't like to be told no. So, as all solar rants go, it's going to be, it's you know, there's the type of solar rant where we don't know what we're talking about. And those are very chaotic. And then the ones where I do know what I'm talking about, and they're still chaotic. So this is going to be the latter. And it's about hypersonic planes. And so hypersonics is uh, Mach 5 and above. And it's, um, you know, we have always had, we've had hypersonic missiles since the 50s. Those are called ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles. The drawbacks of those is they are on ballistic trajectories. Think of a sphere, the Earth. Radar goes in a straight line, so you can only see so much, I mean, theoretically, half of the sky at one time. 
an intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missile. It goes very high up, and then it comes back down. But once it reaches, it's the older ones. It was as soon as they were launched, you could pretty much tell where they were going to hit. Uh, and as the decades went on, some of them could rearrange in the air. Then they added decoys, MIRVs, MIRVs, multiple independent reentry vehicles, kind of made a little more scattershot, no pun intended. But then pretty much there's still the ballistic trajectory. It's going up and you know where it's coming down, right? It kind of, it's like a baseball or something, like a foul ball. Like, yes, it's a ball, it's hard, and it's flying up in the air and it's going to come down and hit you. But it's also not change, maybe wind or something. But you, you know where it's coming down, right? Again, a football being thrown in a closed stadium during a Super Bowl. Like, as soon as it's left the hand, you know where it's going. As soon as it's left the hand, you know where it's going. Hypersonic missiles, um, being non-intercontinental ballistic missiles, have the advance of there's two types. There's ones where they are kind of like a hybrid of intercontinental ballistic missiles. They shoot up and then they they dive back down and that they trade off their altitude for speed and they are glide vehicles. And those have the advantage, a twofold advantage of one, you are no longer on that sort of the high arcing, that foul ball trajectory. Imagine a foul ball that, you know, could sprout little wings and dive back down. It And it sort of hugs the deck, if you will. That's kind of, I believe that's the term for like low flying bombers or fighter jets when you fly under the radar is close to the deck. That's what the B-1B Lancer was supposed to be during the Cold War. It was a low altitude uh, penetrating aircraft. ATRAN, the whole thing where they would actually run cameras over little 3D topographical maps and then upload those videos into planes so that you could have a, you could have an essentially, you could have a, a you could know you could know what the entire geography was way before we had the satellite capabilities to accurately map that. So uh, glide vehicles go up, trade off that altitude for speed, that fundamental trade off, and then they glide around. And again, you're you're gliding close to the surface. Now imagine again the sphere. If you're gliding close to the surface and you're coming over the Pacific, so let's say North Korea launches an ICBM, really the second it goes up. We know exactly where it's aiming at. L.A., fucking Minneapolis, whatever. Now let's imagine that because it has such a high arc that it comes way over the horizon. You see it. You see it rising. Now imagine that it's the Chinese hypersonic missile. Well, let's let's pretend that that's the 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 glide vehicle. It goes up. Then it comes back down, and all of a sudden it's 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 disappeared beneath the surface again not the surface, the horizon. You know it's coming. But you don't know where it's coming from. Is it going to come in the exact line it was coming in, or did it come back down close to the surface and then beeline a 1,000 miles north, and what you thought was coming at L.A. is now coming at Seattle? You only have so many defenses. You have to bolster them and draw them up at the places where you think it's going to impact. Does it go a 1,000 miles south? Is it going to hit Mexico City? I don't know. That's not a 1,000 miles. You get what I'm saying. So it's coming in below the – it's, so it's so close to the surface relatively that you only have so much time before it pops up over the horizon. Now, granted, that doesn't matter as much because it's not like we just have radars in our – and that's kind of like the, 
the why I think this whole fear over the hyper Chinese China's hypersonic hypersonic missile kind of sounds little 2003 weapons of mass destruction kind of beat the drums feeling because we don't just have radars in the United States. I mean, we have bases all over the world. We also have look down, shoot down radar. We've been able to, we've been, I mean, that's the whole billion dollar spy. David Hoffman had him on a couple weeks ago. It's the whole, that's the whole importance of look down radar. I used to never understand it, but now I do. When you're on the ground and you have radar looking up, as Mike Durant says, and he later said faultily about being a helicopter, uh, big sky, little bullet. It's just you up there. They got a lot of places where they can miss. Radar, you're looking up. It's just the background, whether you're looking at thermal radio or thermal IR microwave or just radar. It's it, it's there's one thing moving. As Bill Burr so eloquently said it, when you are on the ground looking up at a helicopter at night, hey, there's that beeping light. There's the you know it's the aircraft. It's the whatever. There it is. When you're up in the helicopter looking down at night, and you're looking down at L.A. It is a sea of lights. And there's a bunch of cars moving. So there's also moving lights. There are also other moving lights that are aircraft between you and the surface. Which one's a car? Which one's an aircraft? Granted, they're moving more quickly. But if you have multiple and then you have thousands of cars and then you have a trillion glittering lights of the city, that's the problem of looking down and deciphering it between the, the contrast isn't as great. You don't know. It's very hard to see it, right? So looking down is very difficult because we're looking at the infinitely complex and varied uh, topographical characteristics of the Earth and trying to find something moving on it. So look down, shoot down, and the idea is shoot down is well, then you shoot the thing down. That's the problem or the difficulties with look down. Now, granted, I, want, I don't know how much of that is probably mostly still classified because whether we have that capability or not, both, both of those realities still serve as a weapon if you can keep that classified. Fake it till you make it or we have a beat on you. It's, there's, that's kind of the beauty of classification systems. So, but regardless, it, it's very, it's very clear we have a, I mean, the, the do, the, 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 the early warning line, like we've always had, because it's just because of trigonometry, we know that there's only so much land you can look over. So you have different radar systems, right? And then moving ones like the spy one radar system on, on, on frigates and destroyers, which like a moron, I asked episode five, I asked a guy in the Navy who operated one. I was like, Oh, what's the ceiling on that? And he was like, that's classified. And I was like, Oh, I guess that was my early foray into getting close to things in the national security state that I shouldn't be. More famously is when I just straight up called Northrop Grumman and started asking questions about the B-21 Raider or all the all the nuclear missile stuff I've, I've tried to get close to, which, side note, that is, I have found of all things I have tried to, like, get close to, whether Charlie Duke walking on the moon or... Dale Comstock, CIA Special Activities Division, or recently renamed Special Activities Center, True Black Ops, what the actual video games Call of Duty Modern Warfare are about, Alex Mason, Woods, uh, Adler, that they are in, if you look at the, the little thing that pops up on the left side of the screen at the beginning of a mission before it gets blacked out, it's called Special Activities Division, that's what Dale was. I've gotten close to that. 
I've gotten close to a lot of stuff. I found the single most difficult thing to get close to, and really not even by my own intention, is nuclear weapons. Submariners, missileers, and the silos, the bombers, you know, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, B2, uh, stealth, B2 Spirit Stealth Nuclear Bomber Aircraft, um, John Rennie on the nuclear submarine, um, um, Mike Ford, who works at, was it, was it, uh, what was the name of the lab he works at where they actually assemble the nuclear missiles? Getting, you know, I've had on, uh, Dwayne Hughes from Sandia, I think, or Oak Ridge, Tennessee. If I'm ever on a list, it's because of all of those. Regardless. So with a hypersonic glide vehicle, comes down, it's right over the horizon. Well, let's just say, fuck it, let's just pretend that we don't have radar systems anywhere else, and let's forget the whole thing that this is probably fear-mongering and war-mongering so that we can go and go to war with China. Let's pretend we don't have all these systems that we have provably and declassified, knowing we've had these since the 50s. So let's just throw all that, all that out the fucking window and beat the war drums. It's coming right over the horizon. Well, there's always been missiles. Missiles aren't anything new. So the problem is hypersonic. You're going five times, and that's just that's just minimum. You know, If you're going supersonic, you're going at least Mach 1. Supersonic entails everything from Mach 1 to Mach 4.9, theoretically, right? There's transonic, which is like 0.9 to, to 1.1. has nothing to do with its hair color. Supersonic, which I would imagine you probably have trans-hypersonic as well. Hypersonic goes, there's actually some divisions on it. Let me pull that up real quick. There are actual, but even then it's just like hypersonic, high hypersonic, peak hypersonic. Yeah, but is there all, there's like these regimes, classifications of mock regimes, yeah. So subsonic is a uh, less than 0.8 Mach, so 614 miles per hour. Transonic is 0.8 to 1.2, 614 to 921 miles per hour. Supersonic 1.2 to 5, okay, so 921 miles per hour, so you go back to Chuck E. A. you're in the Bell X-1, all the way up to SR-71 going Mach 3.3, like and that's what's declassified, although a lot, its top speed is still incredibly enough classified. Brian Schul said that, uh, author of, um, of uh, uh, Sled Driver, I think, said that if you pushed it, it would, they said if, a lot of the pilots feared that they never actually could find the top speed because the SR-71, they said these things had attitudes, the machines had attitudes, and that they had never basically been told no. They push it far enough, and it would keep going. And a lot of them feared that, oh, if this thing reaches its physical limits, it won't shut down. If you've ever like left your iPhone in, like on like a car seat during the summer or had like a MacBook out by the pool during the summer, it shuts down when it gets too hot. They said the SR-71 kind of didn't have that. It would just, they feared it would rip itself apart before it ever failed. And it, there's sort of this like beautiful, like uh, like loyalty the plane almost has. Like I will rip myself to shreds before I fail. Um, so that's 921 miles an hour to 3,836 miles an hour. Hypersonic, okay, this says, I guess this has changed. Hypersonic says Mach 5 to Mach 10, 3836 to 7673 miles per hour. High hypersonic is 10 to 25, so 76, 73 miles an hour to 19,180 miles an hour. 
And then I think Mach 25 and above is, before looking at it, does it still say re-entry speeds? There we go, re-entry speeds. Greater than Mach 25, 19,030 miles an hour. I don't think the space shuttle ever got over Mach 25, which wouldn't make sense, though, because it re-enter, it, well, it does re-enter, right? I guess orbital, because I think orbital speed is Mach 23. I know one of the Apollo spacecraft, I believe, hit Mach 30. It was it, it was just the way it was. It was like a, kind of a perfect storm. Um, a blade of, so yeah, so. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Dong Fang is a fourth generation. Jesus. Avant-garde. Huh. Well, that's weird. The Avant-Garde, A-V-A-N-G-A-R-D, hypersonic glide vehicle, Russian, Mach 27. Christ in heaven. Um, the HTV-2, the hypersonic technology vehicle 2, that's ours, Mach 20. I believe that was in 2009. I was in high school. I thought I remember reading that. Development, flight testing. I thought I remember reading that. At launch in high school. No, I was wrong. April 22nd, 2010. Point is, do you have these different hypersonic regimes? I love how I said at the beginning of this podcast, this is going to be a more well-thought-out one, and it is not that at all. <clears throat> so the point is, is that they're coming over so fast that it really no longer matters that you can see it. So by the time it turns into something that is more of like the ICBM on the ballistic projectile where you can see it coming in, it's 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 the same thing, but it's, it's hugging the surface and you only have so much time. So an ICBM coming in at reentry speeds, but you know from the second it goes over the horizon – you already know that you're bracing for re-entry speed. So even though you can't stop it, hitting a missile with a missile, the MDA, the Missile Defense Agency, it's going up. But from the from the time you see it going over the horizon, and again, and that's not that's not assuming that we you know we don't have eyes on the ground and radars and satellites, which we do. Let's just buy into the fear mongering for the sake of the argument. When it's coming over the horizon, you already know. Okay, this is by its whatever. It's everything. You know it's going to be, you know it's going to be hitting Toronto. You have about thirty minutes, so it's going up. And then you know it's going to be coming down. By the time it's coming down, it's coming down nearly vertical. So again, it's it's you can't. There's really a whole not not a whole lot of. It's like looking at a racetrack, and as opposed to seeing it zip by you, it's seeing it come right at you. It kind of appears to be going slower because there's no kind of deviation in its path relative to you. That's the ICBM problem. The hypersonic glide vehicle problem is that it's the same speed, or excuse me, it's a lot less. It's roughly one-fifth. You know, re-entry speeds Mach 25 to, you know, Mach 5 hypersonic. But the thing is, is the amount of time you have to react. You know, light travels a fuck of a lot faster than than sound. I mean, it's almost the same. It's... It, it's, you can't even really compare the two. 186,000 miles a second, which I think is like, I think it's like 670 million miles an hour. I remember figuring that in college. 
there's like inverses. It's 670 and 760. Yeah, yeah, because the speed of sound is 760 miles an hour. And then the speed of light, we always talk about 186,000 miles a second, which is around the world seven and a half times in a second. But I remember I want to really try to put it in relative values for my own brain to understand. And it's so it's 760 miles an hour for the speed of sound. And then it's the inverse of the first two, the first two numbers, 670 million miles an hour for light. So if you're a mile away and I see the muzzle flash of your Barrett 50 cal, okay, I know I'm not going to hear it, but if I see the flash, like, you know, you can kind of, you could probably still move if you were trained like Dale, Dale would know to move, right? There's a scene in that shitty movie Precinct 13. And I always remember it watching it at my, my, my aunt's house forever ago. But there's a scene when they're like looking out the windows and they start to realize that like the little silhouettes they're seeing are a bunch of spec ops guys. And then they all fire. And there's just this like half second where it's like the lights at the beginning of like a Super Bowl kickoff. And then like the sound hits and all the glass breaks. It's fucking awesome. So you still have time to kind of react. So with the hypersonic missile coming right over the horizon, right over relatively, it's a lot quicker. And then to add insult to injury, it can still maneuver. So maybe you only have, let's just say, by the time it comes, as opposed to seeing it over the horizon, and only have 30 minutes to get into the bunkers and whatever. The hypersonic, let's just, just use an example. Let's say maybe you have two. Maybe you have two minutes. Okay, now fuck, like, you know, maybe you can't shoot it down just like you really can't shoot down an ICBM, which Imagineers of War by Sharon Weinberger goes into all the efforts we did put into shooting down ICBMs long before Reagan's SDI. I mean, it gets even crazier going back into the 50s. But you don't have a lot of time to react. And that's a hypersonic glide vehicle. You still at least have some sort of a heads up and that you might see its early peak before it comes down, does that trade-off of altitude to speed. And then the other one, which is kind of even like the Mac Daddy, is so that one's like a trade-off of ICBM. So it's kind of this weird hybrid, right? It's like it's like updating the iOS on your phone without getting a new phone. It's kind of upgraded versus just getting like the new big dick phone. Is a hypersonic cruise missile. Now that's something that you don't need to have that ballistic trajectory, that initial ballistic. And I could be wrong on so fucking much of this. So there's anyone that's listening to this, well, just in general, but if there's anyone that's listening to this that has any sort of education on engineering and missiles and space flight, I sincerely apologize because I know that I probably have no idea what I'm fucking talking about. With a hypersonic cruise missile, those those are so much more difficult because you don't even kind of have that heads up of, you know, the glide vehicle, you might see it over the horizon and then it does the dip back down. At least you're like, okay, we know something's coming. Imagine if you don't even know it's coming. Now all of a sudden it's all the alarms go off and it's two minutes till impact. It's what the, like what? I mean, you better hope you're like in NORAD. You better like, like, so that is kind of the fear around all these hypersonic missiles, and that's the power of hypersonics, right? So when China launches their hypersonic missile, one, theoretically, we've technically had them since the 50s, two, I also just, I just, 
in everyone that listens to this podcast, I mean, insinuated by the flag behind me and and my words and actions, I, I'm the biggest fan of the United States. Despite all of its evils, I, you know, I'm still a fan of the military-industrial complex and the and the deep national security state. Now, if I ever run for president, those two that statement just now will probably preclude me from getting any sort of popular support. But that won't matter because I will have gained the adoration of the actual power elite by C. Wright Mills. C. Wright Mills. That being said. I think what we're seeing right now is is fear mongering. Is you know, like Bill Hicks said about Iraq, like the Republican Guard or you know the WMDs. They have mobile factories, and it's like, you sure? You sure about that? You're not you're not tugging my dick because that's what it feels like. Now I don't have any evidence to say this because I I don't know of any hypersonic missiles we have. I mean, I know there's the HTV2 that I just said says 2000 time, 2010, and that was Mach 20. I think the one I saw in 2009, maybe that one was Mach 9. I think that was, I think that was called Falcon. There's the HTV2, ah, but there's another one. It was, ah, it was called like the Wave Rider, like the Falcon Wave Rider. X, X Wave, X Wave, X Falcon. The HTV2 was like twice as fast. <laughs> Okay, so we have that laid out. I think there is an importance that we probably have hypersonic craft. It just, now yes, we have satellites and that kind of nullified an SR-71B. Even satellites, they're on predictable trajectories. Now you could say, what if you put little like, is it vernier, vernier thrusters on them? Sure, maybe that's what the X-37B is. I don't know. But you're always going to have something predict, and I don't know this. I'm not a military tactician. That might be a surprise to many of you that I'm actually I, I'm not a high-ranking military official. That's a lot of people don't know that. Like, oh, I thought I thought you were the ten-star uh, general. In fact, I am not. But what I have read before, and maybe it's just Air Force buffs who will always love uh, aircraft, and that's not a play on word of the buff, the B-52. But they always say you're always going to want aircraft-born ISR capabilities, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance. I don't know what that is. I can't even loosely know what that is because it doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't you just have satellites? Well, they're predictable. Well, then just make a string of satellites. Is that what Starlink is? Under the guise of a Elon Musk meme lord project because we used to predict when the soviet satellites would come overhead area 51 and we'd pull the craft in and in addition to that we'd also shoot lasers at them to blind them we would also leave out these weird like uh not like tar but almost like like ceiling top not ceiling like roofing tiles shingles we leave those out and make weird shapes of aircraft and we leave them out for like I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, you're in the middle of Nevada. So it would absorb all the heat and leave these imprints on the cement. And then you'd pull those inside. So if the satellites did manage to get past the blinding lasers, 
they would see these imprints and they'd go, ha, we know that they pulled the craft in, but that's where the craft was sitting, see? But they would just make up absurd. So there's all this shell game of you pull the craft in, you shoot the lasers up, and you also have these faux heat signatures. It's, oh, it's so beautiful. Why wouldn't you just put up a string of satellites? Well, because enemy nations would know you're putting up a string of satellites. So what if you did it under the guise of, of Starlink? That's, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, why wouldn't you just do that? Oh, boy. So, but let's say it's not happening. It's, I've, I've read, and I, and I can't cite it, and I wish I could, but I've read before that kind of the higher-ups, the tacticians, the experts always say you want an aircraft that's capable of doing this. So even if you have satellites, you always want some SR-71-esque thing. SR-71 at the time was so dominant, but you would want something with the equivalent dominance today with all the other aircraft of other nations, you know, progressing over decades. You would want something with that same dominance. You'd want something that is not predictable, that you can't see over the horizon, much like a hypersonic glide vehicle or cruise missile, something that can maneuver, something that has like human-like intelligence. You, you know, you want you want to be able to launch it from anywhere, right? Because even with missiles, you know, like, like the Vela system, well, that was for nuclear flashes. But we have other satellite systems with the NRO and the National Geospatial Agency that look for not even nuclear flashes because that's a telltale double sign. And there technically, legally, haven't been any since 63, I think. 63? Yeah, I, th I think. Maybe. I don't know. Well, there's the whole... Well, there's that one in, like, the South African Sea that they still haven't figured out. But we also have satellites that pick up the... Just the plumes of missiles. And I would imagine that it's as simple as, like... I don't know. Just like a like an anti-ship missile or something. We have satellites that pick up the. I mean, I guess if you could, yeah, if you could read a, if you could read a license plate, yeah, you could probably pick up the plume of just about anything. So theoretically, that would mean even just like air-to-air -air missiles. I mean, we know NORAD technically tracks everything in North America plus a hundred miles going out. But there's also evidence to say that I mean, in the NORAD documentary on the Discovery Channel, they say that they probe out twenty-three thousand miles into space and they look at everything. So. But they also look at, so look up, right? They can see everything. But then they also have looked down to where they can see a Cessna flying in the jungles of South America. Or, uh, you know, a fucking ultralight aircraft taken off from wherever, Madagascar. There's evidence to say that they, they literally see everything. Like literally, literally every aircraft in the sky at all times on every area of the world. There's nothing that escapes their gaze. It is the all-seeing eye. But they still want, for whatever reason, they want an aircraft that, oh yeah, so, so missile plumes. Well, there's no missile plume if you're just taken off from an aircraft carrier. If you're just taken off from a runway somewhere. There's really no, there's really no lead time. So it's been argued that that's what they want. Now, Ben Rich, 
the former CEO of Lockheed Skunk Works, successor to Kelly Kelly Johnson of Lockheed Martin, wrote in his book Skunk Works about they would leave like user manuals to their most classified aircraft. They'd leave them behind the Iron Curtain. And they would have the CIA artificially age them, leave them out in the sun, put a coffee ring on it, whatever. But these were misinformation. These were misleading things about its capabilities. You'd either say it's less capable than it really is, or you'd leave some that say it's more capable. Or you'd intentionally leave both just to really muddy the waters. And he talks, and he kind of leaves these little hints throughout the book, kind of letting you in on the psyops that we would do to other nations. And then in that same book, he tells you, the reader, that they never developed a hypersonic aircraft, despite the fact that the D-21 drone, the tag board, did reach heights of, I think, 95 to 105,000 feet. And although he says it never broke the hypersonic regime, he does start dropping mile per hours in different chapters that are clearly hypersonic. It's like Mach 5.1, 5.2. But that's not even the big one. Paul Whitcomb, my buddy, the first episode he did on here was episode 96. He helped kill John Wayne Gacy, technically. You can go back to that episode and listen why. But Paul had some great insight. And he goes, doesn't it sound like this is just that misinformation? I mean, he's a company man. I mean, technically for Lockheed Martin and then also theoretically for the company, the CIA, as well as metaphorically, he's a company man down to the end. Again, kind of a, a poetic symbolism, of the SR-71 never giving up. Well, that was technically under Kelly Johnson. But kind of till the very end, Bill Hicks says about, you know, the, the anchor committing suicide and you see the NBC Peacock come out. He's a company man till the end. Did he lay that misinformation in there to say it's it's so impossible? Right? To say that it couldn't happen. Because he talks about how under the Reagan administration they were they were they were that they were requested to work on a contract for a Mach 14 aircraft. And he said it absolutely could not be done under no circumstances. But we also know that they always talk about a need for this stuff and how you always want it to be better, faster, stronger. And how you need, you always will need an aircraft. Despite the satellite systems, you will always need an aircraft and not just for strike missions. Right? There's all the evidence of the Aurora, which technically is a weapons program, but the Aurora, right? Stringing together these sonic booms detected so powerful, they called them skyquakes because they would actually set off seismometers. And if you strung them together, you could see a flight pattern across the United States. And if that wasn't enough, you could actually predict it because they did it on the third Thursday of every month. And then there's even better evidence that it was American because. They didn't do it one Thanksgiving, which meant that they were all doing Thanksgiving. So instead, the booms were on a Wednesday. They always start over Catalina Island and they would go all the way across. They would, they'd land at like Edwards, at Nellis, or at Groom Lake. And then one time it even continued and went across the entire continental United States. And then there were, there were, uh, 
there were records of sonic booms across the ocean from different vessels all the way up to like Britain. And this thing clearly was just doing this just mad dash. So that's the Aurora, which was an actual line item in the Pentagon's black budget. In November 2013, Lockheed Martin disclosed that they were working on the SR-72, the son of Lockheed, saying it could go twice as fast, so technically Mach 6. And I remember I was with my, my, my brother at the time, John, who I always talk about on this podcast, who's deceased. But he was doing graduate research at Georgia Tech, at GTRI, Georgia Tech Research Institute. And I remember I was with him because I would drive from Athens to his apartment at Atlanta, and then he would drive him to the airport. We did that three times, and that's when I was going to med school interviews in 2013, October 4th, 2013 for for Miami, uh, November 1st, 2013 for USC in LA. That's the day that guy walked into LAX with an AR. And uh, actually, no, I remember because it was the day before Pearl Harbor, but December 6th, 2013 for Tulane. So eight years ago yesterday. Interesting. But so I'd always go to his house the night before we'd play Grand Theft Auto V, which was new at the time, Christ in heaven. <sighs> at least the new goddamn game. But I remember seeing that, and I was like, John, what do you think about this? And he looked at it, and he goes, yeah, so it says it will be operational in five to ten years. I said, yeah. And he goes, what that actually means is it's been operational for five to ten years. <laughs> I was like, fuck. So it's the SR-72, right? Just completely out in the open. Which again, since when do we preemptively tell people what we're building? And I don't mean that in some, what is the Pentagon stupid? Why? No, they're not stupid. This is all by design. Why the fuck are they doing it? Is it either to instill fear? Like leaving those pamphlets with the coffee rings and artificially sunstained to say that we're doing this and this goes faster? Or is it to truly fuck our enemies into a state of complacency? By going, yeah, we're building this. And the reality is this has been operational since the 80s. But we're letting you know that we're just piecing it together now. So that you're not looking for something that's going Mach 50. I don't know. It all muddies the waters, as it's clearly doing with my muddied brain. So that's the SR-72, the Aurora. In Imagineers of War, I told you we'd bring it back around. Stay tuned. Buckle up. Tommy will get you. There was a project called Teal Rain, which was hyper-classified, no pun intended, hyper-classified, special access program, cream of the crop. And another program, which I don't know if it was a subset of that or just an analogous program, called Copper Canyon. These are all about hypersonic aircraft. And the guy that was initially designing it, like, submitted his design on like the last like hour of the fiscal year of fucking whatever, I think it was during the Reagan administration, won a bunch of funding for it. And they came up with designs that they thought could work. And they said this, th they called it, I mean, it's not like an interesting and analogy, but they call it, everyone's used this fucking term, but the SR-71 on steroids. Some would call it the super SR, that the SS, which is bad analogy, bad terminology, considering that was only, what, 30 plus years since we had the Nazis come over. But the SS, the SSR-71, the Super SR-71, they would talk talk about it going up into, you know, going up to orbit Mach 23, and then it would come down, do a, a little suborbital burn, come back down, take some reconnaissance, and then go back up, 
maybe come back down again. Never know where it's going. Never know if it's coming down for a terminal flight or if it's going to dip back down and fuck with you. You know, little pump fake, little Reggie Bush shit. They're talking about this in the early 80s. And I want all this I want all this funding. There's evidence time and time again of stuff going of the the of the 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 sort of defense contractor complex going, yeah, we're not really sure if this works, but really what happens is it goes deep black. It goes completely underground. It's that pump fake. It's going, ah, we don't want anything to do with that as they're, you know, I don't want this new iPhone. This looks so shitty as I'm putting it in my pocket and I'm taking out my my debit card and paying the guy. I'm like, I don't want this thing. It's so stupid. Let me say that there. Yeah, no, I can activate it on my own. Yeah, I don't want this phone. It's this weird, it's this weird fucking thing. And actually, you know, I just said there's evidence of that. I don't actually have any concrete examples to say that. I just realized that. I might be fake news. Yeah, I actually don't have any. Maybe that's just my own wanting of that to happen. But it was, it was so, it was so important to them, Copper Canyon and Teal Rain, uh, the latter of which, or might be both, are still classified to this day, even though they said it didn't work, that that Reagan came out and was like, and there will be commercial applications of this. And they were saying how they were going to have flights from L.A. to New York or L.A. to uh, London in an hour and how they were going to have commercial craft doing this. And everyone else in the Pentagon was like, dude, what the fuck? Not because it was classified because they were like, no, that's not actually possible. But there are all these little kind of just a Ben Rich here talking about misinformation and then clearly... And if it goes through the Pentagon and it goes through proofreaders, then it wasn't an accident that he said it can't go hypersonic and then clearly states a hypersonic mile per hour number, which you could just go on a Wikipedia like I did earlier and read them off. That didn't get out by accident. <coughs> I just fucking have a heart attack right now. <coughs> Shit's clearly not an accident. Like that doesn't just slip out. I mean, I go on crazy rants right now and I let things out and maybe you could say, maybe I make a Freudian slip in here. But even then, technically, like, no, this isn't live. I, I release this. So theoretically, you could say I do look over it, which I don't. I just finish recording and upload. I, I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't proofread it. This isn't grammar class. I just fucking upload it, typos and all. But I don't see Ben Ridge doing that, right? So we have him talking about misinformation. The, the flight guides with coffee rings. We have him them doing a very literal example of that misinformation of saying Tagboard D21 can't go hypersonic and then and a couple chapters later saying it can go hypersonic. Him giving you examples of how they use misinformation and then releasing a book going, yeah, hey, I'm a liar. I lie through and through. I am a deceptive guy, but I'm telling you the truth. Okay talking about the Reagan administration contracting a Mach 14 fighter, and that, it just can't work. Okay. The, the Aurora, the line item in the Pentagon, the, the skyquakes. The, the guy with the Royal Observer Corps who saw one over the Black Sea, a perfect black triangle. The SR-72 being announced in 2013. If at face value it's being announced, well, at the very least, we know it's being built. More realistically, per John, it's been operational for five to ten years. Or 
it's uh, it's an it's analogous to the the flight guides, the coffee ring stained uh, flight guides, whole deceptive thing again. Lure lure lull lure our enemies into a state of panic or lull them into a state of complacency. Reagan talking about it, the SSR-71, the Super SR-71, Copper Canyon, an actual DARPA program talked about in Imagineers of War by Sharon Weinberger, grab it on Audible, Teal Rain, also in that book. Reagan put in his diary that it fascinated him when he visited, what is it, Groom Lake or NASA, saying, we really are living in a science fiction future. We now have the capability to orbit up to 300 astronauts at a time. What the fuck is that? I just... And then... I mean, if 2013 was lulling them into a false state of complacency, we're just beginning work on the SR-72. Did we see a glimpse of the real thing? Has the SR-72 been flying since the early 80s? And is the real big dick SR-73 was that tic-tac over the Nimitz in 2004 with, uh, with uh, Commander Fravor? I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it that we don't have one. I just don't. Again, you know, General Mattis, intuition is subconscious pattern recognition, nothing more, nothing less. I'm also 31. I have my biases. I want us to be a super powerful state. I love thinking about, you know, uh, classified technology being 50 years ahead. I mean, I created the subreddit Funner History, F-U-N-N-E-R, which is predicated upon just this. I have an American flag behind me. I read this shit and I do solo rants for fun. This is clearly my own biases. I want it to be this this fantastic, this intertwined, this deceptive, this hall of mirrors. The foggy forest of mirrors, to quote Dale Comstock. Man, uh, you know, James Jesus Angleton's called it the wilderness of mirrors. And, and, and then hold on, to double back, Ben Rich again of Skunk Works. I mean, everyone's heard these quotes, but fuck it. Let's pull them up and read them because they're so great. It's the same guy writing a book saying none of this shit can happen. The same fucking guy. We already have the means to travel among the stars. But these technologies are locked up in black projects, and it would take an act of God to ever get them out to benefit humanity. Anything you can imagine, we already know how to do. And he said that when he was dying of cancer. He said that in 95, I believe. I, I, I just... Like there's some real the truth just... No, no, no. Oh, there's another great one. No, there's another great one. The Act of God one we know about. The Project Amongst the Stars. No, there's another one where he's talking about George Lucas. Basically, he's saying even the guys that made Star Wars and Star Trek, they can't imagine what we're doing. And if they can imagine it, we've already tried it and found that it wasn't worth the time. So we have a guy who's saying, and again, Let's play devil's advocate. Is that disinformation 
to put the fear of God into our enemies. It, it's one or the other. It's it's one or the other. We either, we just can't get hypersonics. It's just, whew, that seems to be a real doozy. Get those neurons sweating. Can't do Mach 5. We could do Mach 3.3 when black and white televisions were a hot product and JFK was in office. But fuck, I mean, which, I know 60 years have passed, but we just can't get that final 30, 40% boost. Now, I know 10 years prior, the new big dick thing was the Messerschmitt 262, and 10 years before that were propeller-driven planes like the P-51 and the B-29 and the B-17. And I know in 69, we walked on the moon, but guys... Hypersonics, baby, just can't happen. And I know China in 2021, those dumb fucks are managing to do it, but not us, baby. We can't do it. I call bullshit, Mr. Rich. I call bullshit, and I commend you for saying bullshit. This podcast, in, in totality, but specifically the solar rights, have been a documentation of my descent into madness. I hope one day maybe some AI can scan my face and my eyes and maybe the shape of my head and start to you know retroactively go, oh, you can see where the tumor was, was clearly growing. Or you can see the dilation of the eyes, how he had some disconnect between these parts of his brain. So it was just in Is this some like weird American psycho thing where I think I'm doing a podcast? But of what's hap- what's been happening is I'm slowly actually, <laughs> I'm literally in a padded room. <laughs> I'm li- <laughs> I'm literally in a padded fucking room. <laughs> oh, oh god. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm fucking finished with this one. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. God bless. Love everybody. No matter who they are, no matter what they stand for, we're all humans. We all die in the end. We're all God's children. Treat each other like it. I love you. Love me. Take care, everybody. Ben Rich, you're full of shit. Recording stopped.